Performance Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Greetings and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I'll be your host today for this episode, which will center around new data on trends in the detection and prevention of fraud. That data and its analysis comes from the 2023 Strategic Treasurer and Fraud Report. And you will hear today from Craig Jeffrey, Managing Partner at Strategic Treasurer, as well as Bottom Line's Risk and Fraud Prevention Officer, Chris Gerda, to discuss some of the findings in this excellent report. I encourage you to check it out for yourself at bottomline.com if you haven't done so already. While the report is a wide-ranging look at fraud detection and defense among banks and their customers, our episode today focuses on something a bit different. This year, and kudos to you, Craig, um, STNF has asked a very telling question of their banking respondents, and that is, what do you wish your corporate customers would do more of to mitigate fraud? The results form a wish list of four recommended security practices, and that's what we'll unpack today after we introduce our guests. First, Chris Gerda has been a frequent guest on our podcast. He's with us again today. He has built his career in the military as well as here at Bottom Line in building compliance programs and creating technology and processes to detect and prevent fraud and money laundering. Welcome to you, Chris. Hey, John. Glad to be here today. Uh, this report has so many interesting insights. Uh, we're going to have some really good discussion. Yeah, it really does. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing from our partner, Craig Jeffrey, as well. Um, as mentioned, he is the managing partner at Strategic Treasurer. He has literally written the book on treasury management called The Strategic Treasurer, A Partnership for Corporate Growth. And he is the host of the Treasury Update podcast. He started Strategic Treasury in 2004 to provide corporate, educational, and government entities with access to comprehensive assistance with their treasury and financial process needs. 25 years of financial and treasury experience as a practitioner and a consultant. Welcome to you, Craig. It's good to be here, John. Good to uh, talk with you again as well, Chris. Yeah, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to getting you guys, getting the band together again back here. So, um, hey, a little bit first um, about the key findings from this year's survey. For me, one of the key findings in this report is that there seems to be a sense of cautious optimism. For example, 70% of respondents have seen increased threat levels over the past year, but that's tempered by 53% who believe they're in a better position to stop it. Most companies believe they're in a better position concerning fraud compared to last year, and only a handful felt they were in a worse place than last year. So Craig, to start with you and your experiences last year's report, is there a sense of some of the solutions we've developed to mitigate fraud are working, or do you think this po optimism is unwarranted? Well, I would say to the first question, um, are some of them working? Yes, we're, we're definitely seeing some traction. People are investing in the tech. It is <clears throat> muting for their, you know, for the criminals that are targeting them, it's muting the impact and success they're having. But is the optimism unwarranted? I would say generally so in mass, mm -hmm. you know, it's hard to, it's hard to answer for any individual company, but certainly uh, the threat level is increasing at a you know significant level, or it's just increasing year over year on top of year over year threat increases. So w we are definitely too optimistic generally. You know, it's like mm -hmm. like Wobegon days. Everyone's above average. Everyone's overprotected. <laughs> that's not really uh, that's not really a, a safe uh, posture considering the the threat level increases. I, I agreed. As Chris said, there's so much in here. What are some of the other things, Craig, that really popped out at you this year? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the one of the things was, you know, 30 percent are spending more on fraud prevention. 
due to the concerns of management. I think this is really healthy that the top of the house is is focused on that. That is um, that is necessary. That's that's good. I'd love to see that number higher, but that's really good. The the second the second area, and I've got I've got plenty more, is that you know we're seeing people are using machines to fight sophisticated machines and payment fraud. Criminals are more sophisticated. They're more sophisticated and far more automated. Therefore, the defense has to be more automated. And we're seeing this tick up. I, I know it's going to take a few years to get to the point where Chris is happy and I'm happy, but it's um, that's really a good sign that we're getting more sophisticated on the defenses. There's a long way to go, but it's definitely a, uh, a happy, happy area uh, of progress. So, Chris, over to you. Are we too optimistic, one, and... What were your greatest hits from this report? Hmm, are we too optimistic? I think we should always be positive in our in our approach to continuing to fight fraud because as the fraudsters become more creative, we have to also maintain that same level of creativity to stop them. And sometimes we use machines, right? As, as Craig pointed out, the AI machine learning increases last year, 11%, this year, 24%. Biometrics up from 18, 8 to 16%. You know, it's a complete increase. I think that uh, <clears throat> that was one of the things that I took from this. Detection and monitoring are, are increasing. That is twofold, right? One, I think corporates are becoming more sophisticated and able, those, able to use those solutions. They're becoming more of the norm and payables. And banks are partnering with tech providers to deploy those solutions as part of their infrastructure and offering, just standard. The uh, the optimism I see too is that uh, the management is very concerned. They're often looking to offload liability, and that's kind of impossible because you don't really know, and there's no one to offload that liability to, other than a cyber insurance policy that covers social engineering. They're very expensive, and they cap out at a certain point. Uh, I think that a lot of them are focusing on spending more to get the right tools in place to mitigate their risk. And that's really where the focus should be, that proactive risk mitigation rather than a reactive uh, knee-jerk reaction to needing something today because you had a fraud and you realize after reviewing your dual controls and other things that you're missing something. I think those points on, those points on preventative versus just detective-only controls or response are, are really, really good points, Chris. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, guys. So let's pull the curtain on our wish list. So four items on it. One, use payment control services. Two, reconcile accounts quickly, preferably the same day, but definitely within one week. Three, implement dual controls where possible. And four, have regular security and training. So Craig, you've interacted with a lot of banks in the process of this report and, and in the course of your job. Um, I know they have to be concerned with the amount of losses that they see. Does this list of four track to what you think the pain points are for commercial customers? This tracks, this is not the only list of pain points for commercial customers, but it certainly are some of the key components for, um, you know, the standards of good corporate conduct or commercially reasonable procedures. Banks don't want to see these losses. They're, they're finding too many losses that can be prevented by some good, I'll just call it hygiene, right? Uh, security hygiene. This certainly fits into that list, and uh, there's there's a lot of room to to improve. Yeah, and Chris, I know some of it is is on your wish list, but um, 
I'm also wondering, shouldn't banks be able to execute on some of these items? Banks can execute and enable some of these items, but it's really, it takes both sides, right? It takes the bank and the corporate collaborating together, right? It's the bank maybe giving the corporate tools to create those payment control services, like positive pay, debit filtering, things like that. Recon, the more digitization of payments you do, the faster recon you have. Wait, why are we even talking about recon? Well, the faster you can figure out that something's not right, the faster you can figure out that money left the door and didn't go to where it's supposed to be, which can get you a quicker recall. Uh, so the banks are uh, looking at all of these processes and oftentimes looking at fintech partners to bolster and aid their customers in standard offerings. Okay, interesting. So let's go to the list, Craig. Um, the first one here is payment control services. Unpack that phrase if you could for us. Um, tell us why you think it topped the list, 72%. Yeah, I think I think there's a couple things. This is this is not banks being biased about offering their own payment control services. What they offer is what's needed in the market. Um, I, I just want to emphasize that again. It always seems like the bank is trying to sell somebody on something that benefits them. It's like uh, seatbelts in a car. So what what do I think we mean by that as we put that together? It includes things like account level or transaction level control, something like positive pay or pay match positive pay for checks things like electronic pre-authorization for you know ach items um you know in the us or uh, other types of uh you know debit filtering debit blocking some of the structural things that can happen and other other services that uh may allow people only to send in electronic payments and so account information is not controlled but it also would refer to some of the services that payment systems provide payment hub providers like bottom line would provide um, this tops the list because these are these are all commercially reasonable and there's a reason for that term commercially reasonable it's like if you're not doing that today you're not being commercially reasonable you're not being safe and this is this is this is why three quarters have identified uh, that as one of the top items so chris do the services that craig just described address some of the pain points you see in your day-to-day -day job yeah, when you think of why it's at the top of the list, it, it encompasses a lot of the technology controls that you need to secure yourself, right? Positive pay on checks, particularly in today's day and age of mail theft, absolutely critical. Um, and not sending a, sending a check out without positive pay of a high value is, is really, really putting your organization at risk. And so then looking at your payment types and then what are all the controls that I need to actually control that particular payment type? do I have them in place? <clears throat> Constant change uh, in payment control services as the, as the fraud tactics evolve, those services evolve as well. Um, with all the talk around real-time payments and real-time settlements, um, can corporates do a better job reconciling their accounts? And can this be a fraud-fighting tactic? So when I think about more immediate payments, it's about the authentication being correct before you send an immediate payment. If you're at reconciliation, you're already late in your, in your effort to detect fraud. You can still detect fraud in your recon process, but are you doing that within a day, same day recon, next day, a week, or is it actually at 30 days, 60 days? And now you're, you're far too late to ever get those funds back in the process. So with real-time payments, upfront authentication, 
is critical. And if you have that, then you don't have to worry about it. It's pretty much the same as an ACH, which settles T plus one. I, I was intrigued that you mentioned the phrase more immediate payments. That's, that's kind of cool. I hadn't heard that before. I'll, I'll attribute that one to Craig, right? It's, it's inclusive of lots of things that are hitting our market right now. So there's a lot of things that are very immediate. So uh, real-time payments, wires, anything that's instant. With that immediacy in mind, Craig, um, were you surprised that reconciliation maybe could have been higher? Yeah, I'd love to see it higher, but I, I was kind of delighted by this factor that people are paying this much attention. And even though the, you know, you could be after the fact, a payment has gone out the door, which is a very, very dangerous situation. Uh, the fact that you, if you have really quick reconciliation, you can stop future fraud from occurring, but you also may be able to freeze the funds within the payment system if you act quickly enough. So. It's lost, but all is not lost if you catch it sooner. If you wait and you reconcile at the end of the month, that, that's gone. It's moved to other accounts, moved out of the country. There's no hope in finding it or so little, so little chance of finding it. So um, delighted, delighted more than surprised. I mean, maybe surprised by how high it is, but, but more yeah. delight. Okay, well said. Um, Chris, I know this is one of your favorite topic, topics, number two on the list, multi-factor authentication, 67%. Um, I know this is one of the things you recommend most for mitigating payments fraud. Um, do you think, one, that banks can help encourage MFA use? Um, and what are the possible reasons a company wouldn't use it at this point? Well, I think you have a lot of different systems that organizations use. You have your bank login, and those are obviously secured with multi-factor, but there's always a weak link, right? It's the phone logins, right? When fraudsters take over phones, you have to have multi-factor there and your vendors making sure that they utilize multi-factor authentication. It's a, this really goes to a lot of education, uh, specifically around a lot of the services that are provided to us today, think about ease of use. And so they make MFA particularly optional. Um, and you have to go into the settings and enable that. And you're often not thinking about it, or you think it's just in the background doing some device analysis when it's really not there at all. So kind of, uh, baking that into your policies procedures to make those checks as part of your audits. Do I have multi-factor authentication on anything that can touch my organization up into and including an employee's cell phone login if they approve payments from that phone? That's going to keep you safe from account takeover and education to your vendors as well on how to secure themselves. Banks play a large role in that thought leadership. Okay, interesting. Craig, before I come to you on the fourth item, um, any comments on MFA? No, this is good to hear Chris, uh, Chris talk about that. That's another, that's become standard table stakes or standard of good corporate conduct. Okay, so Craig, we're going to go to you for number four on the wish list. At 51%, and that's regular security training and testing. Now, I know you've been involved with some companies that have had to execute these kinds of programs. What in your mind, does a successful training program look like? So it, it definitely has training and testing. And the testing component is, you know, when we think about testing is, uh, that's a way of ensuring people are learning. We, we have a testing program and I'll tell you, a lot of people just run the video. They run the video part, they don't pay attention, they take the test and they fail the first time they take a test. <laughs> and they go, okay, it's a serious test. And so they have to do it. So, so testing is really important. Um, it has to be the other, the other key factors. It needs to be ongoing, not just annually. A lot of the banks are moving to 
more regular testing to keep it front of mind. That's second. And, um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the overall that, um, you know, while treasury is the payment, uh, is the superintendent of payments, I think everyone who's involved in the payment process has to think about payment security, very specific payment security training for those involved in the payment process, not just general desktop hygiene. So, Chris, only 51% prioritize training and testing. Now, I'm not the expert, but that seems a bit low to me. How do you think companies can learn about and then execute on a successful training program? You don't have to buy something off the shelf. You, make, you can make this yourself. You can do it with video. You can do it with a small test. But I would say, number one, your organization is probably impacted. Use the real-life examples that are are targeting you. There's a business email account compromise. Use that example, use those screenshots. That makes it shocking. It puts people in a learning state. Two, make sure you're using simple definitions of things, right? So that everyone understands they're on the same page from terminology perspective. Really encourage in step three, if you see something, stop. You can stop a payment process, so know where they, they need to report something, centralized reporting. And then four, go over some of the, the common tactics that you see in the market. One, two, three tactics. Here's how you can check on them in two, three minutes. And I really like what Craig said about, it's not an annual thing. It's a, there could be an incident that causes training to be necessary you know, really quickly. Um, and that's, that's important to keep that cadence. A good cadence of training creates a good culture within an organization. Well said. Very well said. Hey, uh, b- before we wrap this up, Craig, I want to come back to you. If you had, if you had a room full of 500 bankers right now, um, what would you tell them they need to take from this report? What should they go back to work and do? Yeah, from, from a banker standpoint, I would say don't give up in terms of educating your corporate clients. Um, continue to, to push those things forward um, and, and don't let up. I think the other, the other aspect is Tell them to also do a payment process assessment. Tell your clients they need to have someone who knows how to do that. Step through the, all of their payment process. Get a full inventory. Understand where their points of exposure are, all the way from setting up payees to the reconciliation process. Know where the points of security are. I think if you could do that, that would be... I would tell them that. I have told them that. <laughs> I've told them that. So, hey, Chris, you got the same 500 bankers. What are you going to tell them? I'm going to go directly after what Craig said, because it's that important. And I'm going to say that really fear stems in the payments process from a lack of authentication of the banking information or the vendor you're going to send the money to. So as Craig's process breaks down where all your controls are at, now how can I use those controls to make sure I authenticate a vendor is who they say they are? How can I work next to my bank to use technology to authenticate those vendors. And then combined those two things, man, that's the yin and yang of staying safe and payables. That's a wrap for this episode. We're calling it Four Things Banks Wish You Knew About Payment Security. I want to thank my guests again, Craig Jeffrey, always a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Chris Gerda, we look forward to seeing you next time, of course. Um, and uh, so, um, I want to thank my guests and I want to encourage everybody listening to, um, Listen wherever you wherever you can on Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud. And I hope you tune in next time. Thanks.
from Bottom Line Technologies.